1: Fifteen years on up, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am evil. Not a hundred percent, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother.
0: This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of Serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, of course, Elena, Aaron, Katoris, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Janice, Hammer, Katerina, Alithia, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, two Emmas, Emily, Gabrielle, Galen, Cassandra, Bree, David, John, and my girl Judy. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. This week's podcast has been super highly requested. So this week we will learn about Wesley Allen Dodd. Now, disclaimer, because this one deals with children, so I want to put that out there. It's intense and graphic. I'm just saying. Wesley was born on July 3rd, 1961 in Richland or Toppenish, depending on the source, in Washington State. So as always, Let's get into some history for around that time. This year, JFK became the 35th President of the United States. In Cuba, Fidel Castro declared Cuba and banned free elections. So in April, 1500 CIA-trained Cuban exiles invaded southern Cuba known as the Bay of Pigs. 188 were killed and a further 1,200 captured by Cuban forces. A few years before, East Germany introduced a new passport law reducing the number of refugees leaving Eastern Germany, but in 1961, 20% of the entire Eastern German population left and defected to West Germany including a high percentage of engineers, technicians, physicians, teachers, lawyers, skilled laborers. So East Germany decided to build a wall securing the border between the two with Soviet help. They first closed the border using barbed wire entanglements and fences, but began putting in concrete walls that year. The USSR conducted the largest ever nuclear bomb test, going against worldwide objections. Big Ivan, as it was called, was detonated over an island in the Arctic. The blast was equal to about 50 megatons or 50 million tons of TNT and registered as a 5.0 on the Richter scale. The light from this blast was seen over 600 miles away from the detonation site. It was the largest, most powerful man-made weapon ever created. Not long after, the United States, the Soviet Union, and the United Kingdom signed a partial nuclear test ban treaty, banning all nuclear tests conducted anywhere but underground. But also this year, the Soviet Union launched the first spacecraft to reach the surface of the moon. The next month, the United States launched its first man into space as President Kennedy asked Congress for $531 million, which would be $4.8 billion today, to put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. And speaking of President Kennedy. He also established the Peace Corps, which was Executive Order 10924, creating the group as an agency within the State Department, which worked to train young Americans in community development efforts and then deploy them around the world to volunteer helping developing countries. The United Kingdom founded and established the World Wildlife Fund this year. It was created by the world's top conservationists as a means to organize and collaborate on conservation funding throughout the globe. It wanted to bring awareness to conservation issues with the goal of lessening humanity's impact on natural wildlife habitats and preserving endangered species. And finally, this year, the Antarctic Treaty System was created to regulate international relations with respect to Antarctica to ensure that it would forever continue to be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. So this was the atmosphere of the world that Wesley was born into. His parents were Jim and Carol Dodd, and I really couldn't find any background information on them. But Wesley's brother Greg was born just 11 months after him. Their sister Kathy was the last child born when Wesley was 3. But once Greg was born, it is said that Wesley immediately bonded with his baby brother. And right off the bat, it was pointed out that Wesley and Greg bathed together until Wesley was 7 years old and that the brothers also slept in the same bed until Wesley was 10. Radford University, who is one of my main and most trusted sources, did a study on this and they stated, Dodd denies any sexual contact with his brother. And I find them even asking this very odd. It is completely common for very small children to share a bath, especially toddlers and very small children of the same sex. I've known so many parents who have plopped both of their sons or daughters in the bath together when they are still very little, throw in some toys, and therefore bath time would be more efficient. Two birds, one stone and it is also quite common for siblings to share a bed when they are quite young as well, especially so if their family doesn't you know come from money. It appears to me that the boys were no longer bathed together at an appropriate age long before prepubescence. And then they began sleeping in separate beds also at a very appropriate age as well. So again, I find it so strange that the fact that the brothers shared a bath and bed when they were very small children as being noteworthy. I don't see how that would impact Wesley's later actions, but I digress. And then another thing that this study brought up was that the only memory Wesley had of his sister being a baby was when Carol was breastfeeding her. I'm quite confused as to, again, why this would be something to bring up and point out. Countless small children witnessed their mother breastfeeding their siblings, and at just three years old, Wesley would be awfully young to assign that action to a negative memory. So, at four years old, Wesley had to have surgery to remove his tonsils. And while in the hospital, as his mother was helping him get prepared for the surgery, he accidentally urinated on himself and remembered being horribly embarrassed because of it. Wesley and his brother Greg were close growing up, they played together and enjoyed many family outings up into the mountains or even the beach. Interviewed later, Greg said, quote, Our lives weren't all bad. We had good times. Me and my brother did the normal things. We played. We fought. We played out in the snow. We did normal kid things. End quote. His father, Jim, said that Wesley was a loving, responsive child. Wesley, on the other hand, later said that his father was emotionally and physically abusive, often neglecting him and favoring his two younger siblings. He went on to say that his parents never told him that they loved him. Now, This has been disputed by the rest of the family, just to note. But it was just a few years later, at 8 years old, that we see the first potential stepping stone down his path. Wesley was at his male cousin's house, playing, when the two decided to sexually experiment by touching their genitals together. The next year, though we have to assume he had urinated on himself again, he stated that his mother made him change his pants twice in front of his aunts, and that also horrifically embarrassed him. This in particular seemed to really stick with him, but he also later stated that, by the age of just 9, he knew he was sexually attracted to other young boys. At 10 years old, Wesley began to expose himself to other and often younger children. He did this in front of a 6 year old girl, but she refused to look at him and he would later say that he felt this was a turning point. He felt rejected by her and later told police that he believed this is when he began to prefer boys. At the age of 11, Wesley found himself trying to find pictures of nude beaches with naked people on them and realized that well, no one else his age seemed to be all that curious about the same things that he was. At 12 years old, Wesley was approached by another boy and asked if he'd like to take a shower with him, to which Wesley agreed. Only the boy went on to tell many of the other kids that Wesley had wanted to shower with him and the bullying began. Around this time, one of his friends happened to tell Wesley about how his father had to use a catheter to be able to urinate. Curious, Wesley began experimenting by inserting stray pins or the internal ink tube from inside of ink pens into his penis. Wesley later admitted to tricking some of his victims by telling them he could do tricks, kind of like a sword swallower, meaning sticking things inside the hole of his penis to lure the victims into his house so that he could then molest them. At 13 years old, he began standing naked in his bedroom window, visible and flashing children that passed by on their way to school. Needless to say, it didn't take long for him to get into serious trouble for his exhibitionism. Jim, his father, later told an Oregon newspaper that he had been quite aware of his son's disturbing behavior but had decided to ignore it because he felt that, otherwise, Wesley was a well-behaved child who never had problems with drugs, drinking, or smoking. And since he had been discovered flashing children from his window, he decided to go around riding on his bike and flashing much younger boys. And he later said he did that because boys wouldn't usually tell on him for doing that like girls did. In all, over the course of two months, he exposed himself to 40 younger children. He said that during this time, he was very unhappy because his parents were bickering and fighting constantly and did not emotionally support him. By the time he was 14, the police had to pay a visit to the Dodd residence after reports were coming in that he was exposing himself to children. However, once the police left, there were no repercussions of his actions, no discipline, no behavior correction, No punishment whatsoever. But he had rather disliked the police getting involved, so he decided to change up his strategy. He began sexually pleasuring himself every day and often multiple times a day and doing experiments of how much weight his genitals could hold up after tying weighted things to them. Also during this time, sources say he sexually experimented with his sister's friend, a 10-year-old little girl. Another instance was that he allegedly went into his sister's room one night while she was asleep in bed and placed her hand on his penis. He then attempted to pull her pants down to have sex with her, but she finally awoke, pushed him off, and ordered him out of the room. Sources say that this incident was also not reported. So, 14 years old is an awkward age for anyone, but Wesley later stated that this is when he really became socially isolated and quite intimidated by girls, which could be a first symptom of pedophilia, but more on that in a bit. He was able to talk his 8-year-old cousin into tying a string to the ends of their penises to play tug-of-war. Afterwards, Wesley then raped the boy. Within days, he molested another cousin of his, this time a girl, while they were in a closet. Wesley then, on the same day, molested her 6-year-old little brother. And then it began escalating from there. I'm firmly placing my disclaimer disclaimer right fucking here because this is intense. okay? Still, at 14 years old, it was noted that Wesley began letting the family dog lick his anus because he said it stimulated him greatly. He decided to let the dog lick his genitalia and to get the dog to do it, he apparently rubbed feces on it. At 15 years old, Wesley's father attempted suicide after a rather bad argument with his wife they divorced not long after things seemed to have been a bit quiet for a few months before wesley began acting out again he later said he had grown tired of just exposing himself to children and craved physical contact so he took it upon himself to visit a local elementary school he found himself three boys and three girls all between the ages of 7 and 10 He plied them by playing a game he called the guessing game, where he would put his penis in each of the children's hands. Later that afternoon, he played this game with a further three other children. He got away with this behavior for actually quite some time. A few months later, in March 1977, 15-year-old Wesley was finally arrested for exposing himself to an 8- and a 10-year-old girl, but for whatever reason, he wasn't prosecuted.
1: I first started exposing myself when I was 13 years old. My first contact with police came when I was 15. On uh, March 10th of 1977, I was arrested by the Richland Police Department here in Washington and confessed to six or seven different crimes. I couldn't remember for sure. So these seven cases probably involved close to 20 kids.
0: They did, however, recommend counseling, and he actually did go to counseling off and on for a few years, but really not often.
1: They suggested that I get counseling, but didn't think anything was serious enough to press charges.
0: What he did determine during this time was that he felt no fear of the law and the consequences of his actions because, well, quite frankly, he had been doing these things to children in varying degrees for years and had not been caught up to that point. At 16 years old, Wesley was asked by a neighbor to fill in for a babysitter and he happily agreed, then proceeded to molest all three children aged four and younger. He was now also masturbating in the school's auditorium, but was never caught doing so. Sources say that he did attempt to go out on a date with a girl, but he later said that it was very awkward and uncomfortable and said it was one of the worst evenings of his life. He had no sexual contact with that girl, by the way. Now, with his parents only being divorced for a year, his father had already found a girlfriend and that woman had a 3-year-old daughter. It is no stretch of the imagination that he put his hands on her too. At 17 years old, he began running around his neighborhood naked and molesting another 10-year-old boy. And Folks, that was his childhood, so let's dive in. Wesley later said that he was never told that he was loved as a child. His entire family disputes this. He also said he felt pushed aside in favor of his younger siblings, and that too has been debated. He said he was physically and emotionally abused by his father. The other two siblings deny this. However, the parents did fuss and fight with each other, which we know creates a lot of stress in children. But overall, I saw nothing to indicate he was neglected or abused in his life. And yet, he began to display some not too common sexual behaviors, starting at just 8 years old. Now, The Journal of Pediatrics wrote that, in fact, most children will engage in sexual behaviors at some time during their childhood. Some behaviors are quite normal, but can be confusing and concerning to parents and obviously disruptive or intrusive to others. Sexual behaviors in children range from normal and developmentally appropriate to abusive and violent. Concerned parents often present to the pediatrician's office with questions about whether their child's sexual behavior is normal, whether the behavior indicates that the child has been sexually abused, and how to manage such behavior. Although earlier studies have suggested a strong correlation between sexual abuse and sexual behavior problems in children, more recent studies have broadened this perspective, recognizing a number of additional stressors, family characteristics, and environmental factors that are associated with intrusive and frequent sexual behaviors. Clinicians must first distinguish age-appropriate and normal sexual behaviors from behaviors that are developmentally inappropriate and or abusive, you know, sexual behavioral problems. Children with sexual behavioral problems require further assessment and more specialized treatment approaches. The article goes on to say that more than 50% of children will engage in some type of sexual behavior before their 13th birthday. But when the behaviors become problematic, it requires intervention. So what did Wesley actually not receive? That's right, intervention. His own father stated that he was aware of his son's sexual deviance and, outside of some father-son talks, did absolutely nothing. The authorities were involved after a time and they really did nothing either other than to suggest counseling. So if Wesley wasn't molested or abused that we have any knowledge of, why display the behavior? It is thought in his earlier youth that he would garner a lot of attention for his actions. You can liken it to the class clown who is doing things they aren't supposed to, but it makes them appear cool. His ability to do something that his peers would not offered some kind of positive status. This then makes it a little bit more difficult for him to resist the inappropriate occasional sexualized display when he feels it will garner him attention, even negative attention. But the key thing here is that, again, intervention was absolutely necessary and he received none. There didn't seem to be really any consequences for his actions at all. There's no debating that Wesley was a pedophile. According to an article from the Psychiatric Times, pedophiles commonly experience their sexual urges as ego syntonic or embedded in our self-concept in a way that feels natural. To justify their behavior, they frequently rationalize, minimize, and normalize their sexual interaction with children, sometimes to the point of delusional ideation. While childhood sexual abuse appears to play an important role in the development of pedophilic tendencies, nevertheless, childhood sexual abuse is neither necessary nor sufficient for the development of sexual attraction to children. In an article by the New York Times, scientists recently have begun to provide some answers. One thing most pedophiles have in common is that they discover, usually in their early teens, that their sexual preferences have not matured like everyone else's. Most get stuck on the same age boys or girls who first attracted them at the start of puberty, though some retain interest in far younger children, which is the case with Wesley. The article went on to say, As scientists seek to understand how the disorder develops, there is growing consensus that the origin is largely biological. This view is based in part on studies pointing to subtle physical traits that have a higher incidence among pedophiles. The biological clues attached to pedophilia demonstrate that its roots are prenatal. The age of onset of sexual orientation appears to develop or reach consciousness before the onset of puberty, between the ages of 8 and 10, which we do see in Wesley. And importantly, studies have shown that the earlier in life the person reports having had feelings of sexual attraction to children, the less flexible they perceive their sexual interest in children to be. So wrap your mind around that. And the common presumption that pedophiles were themselves abused as children now has less support. Child victims are at a far greater risk of future substance abuse, depression, persistent traumatic stress, or criminal aggression than of becoming people who molest. The vast majority of offenders deny any sex abuse in their childhood. Pedophilia emerges before or during puberty and is stable over time, and it is said that it is to be self-discovered, not chosen. And science is still debating on whether or not pedophilia is a paraphilia or abnormal sexual desire or sexual orientation to go along with hetero or homosexuality and so on. Now I have an educated opinion on this, but I don't know if this is the right place to put it. Science also is trying to determine whether or not pedophilia is inheritable. According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, in general, there has been a long-standing history of research surrounding genetics and potential causes of criminality. The cause of pedophilia remains largely unknown, but the disorder is thought to be caused by an undetermined distribution of psychological, sociological, and biological factors. Most scientists now consider the disorder as a complex, deep-rooted predisposition and, over the last few decades, have correspondingly begun to study possible biological associations to the etiology and presence of the disorder, such as abnormal brain structure and function, irregular hormone levels, biological vulnerabilities to environmental factors, and genetic influences. Now guys, it is important to remember that, overall, there is very little genetic research in this area and literature is limited, but the science continues. So here is some data. A double-blind study at Johns Hopkins Hospital compared family records of 33 patients with pedophilia and 21 patients with non-pedophilic paraphilia for histories of sexual deviance in first-degree relatives. The results found that 10.3% of pedophilic patients had male first-degree relatives with pedophilia compared to 0% of the psychiatric control group. The scientists concluded that the data at least suggests that pedophilia is familial and the presence of pedophilia in one member of a family increases the chance of pedophilia in other members of the same family. Another study completed at the City of Hope National Medical Center said 18.5% of pedophilic patients admitted to having another pedophile in the family. This study also said there should be some correlation between sexual behaviors such as pedophilia and serotonin receptors and dopamine related candidate genes. Yet another study from Italy suggested that pedophiles have poor prefrontal networks, it's prefrontal appear. So, pedophilia is associated with loners who have low self-esteem. They often feel sexually inadequate and fear rejection by their peers. Wesley later described himself as socially isolated, intimidated by girls, and by avoiding mature relationships, he basically failed to mature himself. While his peers were going out to school dances and whatnot, he was at home thinking of new, depraved ways to sexually exploit children. So, it does seem that, while more research is obviously needed, that pedophilia can be a heritable trait. But I don't know if that is the case with Wesley. There was no mention of him being molested or otherwise sexually abused as a child and especially by either of his parents or a family member. So we can't really pinpoint the cause. We just know that, for sure, it was there and it was highly prevalent within him, and he was basically left unchecked for his behaviors. So let's get back into it. Once Wesley was 18 years old, that summer he began working at a Christian music camp. It was said that his tactic was to trick children into inappropriate contact through gameplay, such as daring the kids to run around naked, or he played spin the bottle with them. He often played strip poker with them, truth-or-dare, or or egged them on to go skinny-dipping, and he became quite good at convincing a confused child that he was teaching them something fun that adults do and that it was perfectly normal. That brings back Vietnam flashbacks. Once he encountered a young boy fishing alone in a wooded area, he asked the boy if he wanted to see something, quote, really neat. Once they were isolated, Dodd ordered the boy to undress, but fortunately for the child, they were interrupted by another group of kids. If he couldn't find a child alone, he would approach a group of children and demand that one of them pull down his pants. Sometimes Dodd went on bizarre, kind of nude excursions, rollicking in a child's playground naked in the middle of the night. At 19 years old, he attempted to abduct two girls, ages 11 and 7, but they managed to get away and report him to the police. He was arrested and openly admitted to wanting to molest them and that he had planned on taking them to an isolated area at the local river, but yet again, he was not put in jail. Less than a year later, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy. He later said that... Had he not joined the Navy, he would have been murdering within a year's time. He went on to basic training in San Diego, California and actually graduated in the top 10% of his class. He was assigned on submarine duty and while stationed at a base in Bangor, Washington, he sexually assaulted children who lived around the base, offering them money to pull their pants down. Wesley learned very quickly that video arcade stores were an excellent place to find children because they wanted money to play the games and he would therefore give them quarters if they played along with his own games. But in May of 1982, at 20 years old, he was arrested for solicitation of minors. He was caught offering to pay a few boys $50 each to go into a motel and play strip poker with him. He again confessed to the police that he had planned on molesting these boys, but the charges were dropped for unknown reasons. In December of that same year, he was arrested for attempting indecent liberties with a boy and served only 17 days in jail with court-ordered counseling. That's it. The Navy discharged him for this act, though. A year and a half later, he was again arrested for molesting a 10-year-old little boy. He only received a one-year suspended sentence as long as he agreed to counseling. He was arrested and convicted of molesting a 13-year-old boy in Idaho and was sentenced actually to 10 years, but only served four months of his sentence. On and on, he reveled in himself being the predator to so many small children, even engaging in, sit down for this, sexual intercourse with an 18-month-old baby. This baby was the son of one of his female co-workers. Oh, sick bastard. Wesley actually had sex with the mother of that baby, but he said he could only achieve orgasm while thinking about you know, at 25 years old, Wesley moved to Seattle. He had figured out that he was a lot less likely to be reported for actually molesting a child than just the attempt, so he knew he'd have to get more forceful. So, if his victims put up any fight, he began to tie them up. Then that evolved into fantasizing about killing his victims. He then moved to Vancouver, Washington and got a job as a shipping clerk. It was in September 1989 when he went to Vancouver's David Douglas Park. He had brought with him shoelaces and a fish fillet knife, looking for young boys to kill. He then successfully lured two brothers, 11 and 10 years old, to a secluded area. There, he forced them to undress tied them to a tree, and sexually assaulted both boys, and, once he was satiated, he then stabbed both boys repeatedly and fled. One was pronounced dead at the scene, while the other, on the way to the hospital. After this, Wesley began keeping a scrapbook that he filled with the newspaper clippings about the murders. A couple of months later, he drove to Portland, Oregon, where he happened upon four-year-old and nine-year-old brothers at a local park. Now, The four-year-old was playing by himself, and Wesley was able to talk the boy into leaving with him. The other brother had gone home, he told him, so he said he would drive him to his house. But instead, he took the little boy to his apartment. He tied the little boy down and took pictures of the assault. He did this repeatedly throughout the night. He also wrote all of the grotesque details in a diary. Other things he wrote included quote, If I can get it home, I'll have more time for various types of rape rather than just one quickie before murder. End quote. As I did, I'm sure you picked up on the fact that the fantasized child was called an it. Once a little boy had fallen asleep, he strangled him, then hung him with a rope and left him in a closet, all while photographing the body. He then disposed of the little boy in some bushes near Vancouver Lake. He burned the child's clothing, but decided to keep his little Ghostbusters underwear, which he hid in a briefcase under his bed. The boy's remains were found pretty quickly. And while the police were scrambling to find any clues or get any witness testimony, Wesley was in his apartment building what he called a torture rack out of boards and ropes intended for his next victim. How very Dean Coral of him, I must say. So in November 1989, Wesley attempted to kidnap a six year old boy from the restroom in a local movie theater, but Thankfully, the child began fighting and screaming as Wesley carried him off. The theater employees saw the commotion and followed him outside. Wesley saw that he was being followed, so he released the boy, got into his car, and drove off. Now, fortunately, his car broke down just down the road, and that little boy's stepfather approached him, put him in a headlock, drug him back to the theater and the employees called the police. He was taken to the local police station where he was interviewed, then taken to the Vancouver jail where they continued their interrogation for three days. Eventually Wesley confessed to all three murders. A search warrant was issued for his apartment and that's when his torture rack, his clippings of the murders, a photo album containing photos of his victims and the underwear in the briefcase. They also found his disgusting diary. So ultimately, he was given the death penalty where he was able to request that he be hung like his last victim. Raise your hand, you swear you give the truth,
1: the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so God, I do. What would be your intention if you are forced to live in prison? Do everything I can to escape, and if necessary, kill prison guards on the way out, and I'll go right back to doing what I did before as soon as I hit the streets. Which is what? Kill kids. Kill and rape kids? Yes. So you should be executed for the safety of others? Yes.
0: Now, he refused to appeal his case. He flat out insisted that there was no possible way that he would ever be able to resist or control his compulsions and would most certainly murder again if he had the chance
1: why do you want to be executed uh, I have to be if I will kill again no I would do it again I've been molesting kids nonstop since I was 13 years old over half my life uh, anything happened I can guarantee I'd do it again and sooner or later I would kill another child done it before and at the time i liked it did your execution do any good i think it would i think a few child molesters anyway are going to think twice before they do anything again how do you live with yourself daily at times it's not easy uh i said there's times i think about what i've done uh, I think about some of the things the boys said before they died, and and that's real hard to think about. Look forward to dying. In a way, yeah, it could be a relief. I don't have to think about all these things anymore. Uh I know that's the only way I can guarantee I'm not going to hurt anybody else. Um, you know, right now I sit here and say I don't want to, but I know it'll happen.
0: He stated in court, quote, I must be executed before I have an opportunity to escape or kill someone else. If I do escape, I promise you I will kill and rape again and I will enjoy every minute of it. End quote. He was executed in January of 1993. So tell me, guys, what do you think? I think that pedophilia is a paraphilia and not a sexual orientation. Now again, I don't have a PhD and I haven't studied these things completely as thoroughly as a specialized doctor would. With that said, it is deviant sexual behavior. It is unacceptable to touch children in any way, shape, or form disingenuously. I think that even if that attraction and draw is there, that the adult should know that any and all molestation or sexual assault on any level to a child is permanently damaging that child and doing any sexual anything to anyone that hurts them or damages them in any way is unacceptable children especially are off limits but what do you think guys Leave me a comment below if you're watching or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can email me serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com. Consider becoming a patron. And as always, thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I appreciate that. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day.